Explore the history, relationships, expertise, and data that go into ensuring Stein growers get maximum yield potential. This is the Stein Seedcast. Here's your host, David Thompson. Hello, and welcome to the Stein Seedcast. I'm your host, David Thompson, National Marketing and Sales Director for Stein Seed Company. We've got another great episode lined up with special guests, expert insights, and discussion on everything you need to know about maximizing yield potential. On today's episode, our special guest is Steve Luther, Farm Manager for Stein Seed Farm. Welcome, Steve. Well, thank you. So Steve has helped manage Stein Seed Farm near Adel, Iowa for uh, more than two decades. Through the years, he's seen a lot of different products, innovations, and agronomic practices advanced through our system. And his expertise and experience and understanding what's best for the farmer helps influence the decisions that we make as a company. Today, we'll hear Steve Stein's story, his take on the evolution of the farm through the years and how Stein products performed in 2023. So let's get started. So, Steve, here on the Seedcast, we always like to talk about uh, the fact that everybody has their own Stein story. So, I guess to get us started, tell us a little bit about your path to Stein and what led you here. Well, in the fall of uh, 2001, I was kind of coming to the realization that my own farming operation wasn't uh, a viable one. No mistakes about it. Uh, just complete transparency. wasn't making any money. I yep. uh, had lost uh, one of the big farms I'd had for a number of years. Uh, I had sold, so I just decided that I would I'd have a farm sale and quit farming. And through discussions with a friend, which was Doug Beavers, who uh, works here for us, mm. a childhood friend of mine, he just put a word in, unbeknownst to me, to to Fred Eby, that I might be looking for work. So. So on a Tuesday, I told the bank I wasn't going to farm anymore and decided to have a farm sale on Wednesday. Fred hired me. So I'd spent the night before wondering what I'd do with my life because all I'd ever done is farm. Yeah. Uh, so Fred came along and, and hired me, and all I've ever done is farm. <laughs> <laughs> well, nice. So nice. that was a blessing in disguise. And so that's been my, that was my journey to Steins. Prior to that, you know, I'd farmed. My dad had uh, quit farming in the 84 due to the farm crisis. I was probably 14 at the time, 15, I don't know. Kept three of our farms, kept a couple hundred head of hogs, and farmed, you know, through before I was even in high school mm. uh, with what little equipment we had, or I'd work with neighbors, and they would come do the equipment work and trade things back and forth. And uh, so, you know, my journey farming started early. Just because I had such a desire, I didn't want to not farm. So that had always been my passion, and and I wasn't going to let it go. So, you know, starting at uh, at that age and, and working my way up to, I guess, when I started here. And your family farmed, well, it was Adel. I mean, just, yeah, just, north just of a Adel. few miles. Yeah, just north of Adel. So not, not very far from the Stein farm. Yeah. So, you know, obviously serendipity probably is, is, is the word that comes to mind there for what was going on in your life. But as you think back on that, what drew you to the opportunity to come to Stein? Well, you know, obviously living close to Steins and, and I, you know, you, I really didn't know a lot about, I guess, the business side of Steins. I just knew it was a big farm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, coming out of the realization I wasn't going to farm on my own anymore and it was, uh, you know, you kind of walk into a cold, vacant area. Now what? <laughs> and then you step into an operation like Steins, which was, you know, it was big and it was new. It's being like the new kid in school. You know, you kind of step in and there was so much to learn and it was moving so fast. And I needed a job, and I needed <laughs> right. money. Um, right. And 
so with that in mind, you know, you, my head was just down and I knew I needed to, to get to work. So I really didn't pay attention to the newness of it all. Things at Steins move quick no matter what time of the year it is. So I just <laughs> stepped right in and, you know, looking back on it now, it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. So at that time, Fred Eby would have been the farm manager. Did you know Fred before I this? I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, back then we did, really didn't have cell phones or anything. So, you know, <laughs> I had a voice message at home on the answering machine that that was Fred Eby and I should give him a call. So I did. <laughs> I knew the name, but I didn't know Fred. Yeah. So, you know, he he was very warm and, and uh, inviting to me. And I really didn't have any concerns about coming to work because it just felt I don't know, family-oriented right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So nice. Fred's been a big part of my life starting even day one. So over the years then, you kind of moved into assistant farm manager Correct. role. And then yeah. eventually to your current role as farm manager. So I wonder if you talk a little bit about the day-to-day responsibilities as farm manager at Stein Seed Farm. You know, and that's seasonal. I mean, we could... We could really break it down a lot here, but, you know, for the most part, I, I get up and I get to work and I get, get the guys going. You know, I try to have an idea, and usually it's pretty well laid out every day, but make sure we get all the trucks on the road and get the activities going, whether we're in the field or this time of year, whether we're doing shop work or moving grain or whatever the case is. And then kind of once I get the guys going, then, you know, I'm on my way up. I start my day with Harry right after that, and, and uh, we go over if there's anything to do or what his list is. And yep. and at that point, uh, I shoot from the hip because all things are off the table. Whatever my plan was, we kind of <laughs> rearrange and we make sure we get, get onto Harry's list for the day. So you can have you can have a plan, but the plan quickly changes a lot of days. And that's, and that's common in agriculture probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever the day brings. So right. you mentioned your team. So talk a little bit about the team that you have there at Steinseed Farm. You know, I got a good one. You know, when I started there, there was, I think I made number seven of, of the farm crew. Today, we're at 42 that work directly on the farm crew. That includes the truckers and uh, operators and everybody kind of, nobody really has one assigned job. Everybody, you know, everybody wears multiple hats, so to speak. You know, and seasonally, we bring in uh, 93 seasonal workers that are part of the H-2A program. And, and they're part of our detasseling corn nursery and corn ISO work and fall harvest. So that usually runs from the middle of June to the 1st of November. You know, and seasonally as well, we bring in, there's probably another 10 that are part of our daily life when it comes to contract work, kind of in regards to like a lot of the tiling that we do. Those sure. people are around every day. So they don't directly report to me, but they work with us, you know. Yeah. So it's just a lot of people that can be in movement from any one given day to the next. But, you know, if you'd have told me when I took this job, in 2001 that a I would become a manager of, of Steins or that I would lead that big of a group of people in, in certain times of the year that's a lot of people that we keep keep organized the best we can I probably would have told you I wouldn't take the job I wouldn't have thought that that was for me <laughs> so obviously when we talk about jobs with the farm there are things that are familiar to people tasks that are familiar to people equipment operation and moving grain but what are some of the things that probably are a little different because of the size and scope of the operation, the type of work that we do at Stein? Yeah, and, and there are things that are very similar. You know, we still put a crop in and we still take a crop out. Yep. But, you know, you can break break everything down from we grow field corn, we grow seed corn, we have uh, nursery corn, we have isolation corn starting in our early foundation work. 
We have soybeans, big fields of soybeans, production soybeans like any other farmer. But that can get broke down quickly into our elite soybean increases that, you know, we do quite a bit of the work of, of that on our side of the farm. And there's soybean research. There's plots. You know, we have, this, you know, the soybean and the corn department have plots. So, you know, it's, it could be broke down into many different layers of how the farm is set up. And that's what makes us different locally or anywhere probably to a normal farm. But, you know, we start our day off and we end our day. We're still farmers and we're still doing farm work. But, you know, I always say it's uh, looking from the outside in, it's like looking, you know, it's a riddle wrapped in a rhyme, wrapped in an enigma because there's just so much going on. And even myself growing up within a few miles from there, I had no idea. You know, there's just a lot going on that's complex. And I think that's a common commonality. It's interesting that, that you know, because I grew up in that area as well. And just for folks, the uninitiated, it, they don't know what's go- what everything is that's going on around there. But like you said, I think the tasks that happen on the farm are layered, right? So there's things that people recognize, things they don't recognize. Even with trucking, you're hauling grain to the elevator, sure. But you're also, your team's also hauling seed corn to you know, all, oh, yeah. o- all over the United States. Yeah. And when it comes to, like you said, planting, you might be planting an 80 acre field, but you might be putting 200 varieties. Right. In that 80 you, acre you just field. never know. Right. So you, it, it's the same, but it's different. Keeping on the theme with, I guess, your team, you know, I think one of the things that I think a lot of people in production ag struggle with is finding and retaining good talent. As you said, you've experienced a lot of growth. How do you find and retain the talent that you need to be able to run this whole operation the way we do? You know, really, it kind of started. It's just almost inherited. I think if, if you've been part of our Stein culture, you'll realize that uh, everybody's there a little bit to a degree by word of mouth. I mean, I knew Doug Beavers, so he referred me. It wasn't like, uh, well, I guess my point is we don't go out and advertise. Not a lot. I've done that, but almost everybody I have has come by word of mouth through somebody else. And, you know, good people bring good people. You know, they don't all stay. You know, I've had a lot of people sure. come and go. But for the most part, our percentage is pretty high for the people that come and stay that work for me. And you do have to work with them. I mean, it just having people come in and barking orders at them, doesn't, that doesn't create a good environment. <laughs> right. So you have to create a good work environment, which is challenging because we do on the farm crew, we can work a lot of hours. You know, this fall uh, is a good example. You know, it didn't rain. So we started we started uh, our season early, right right around the 21st, I believe, of August, and we went almost eight weeks with without a day off. So that challenges people to come <laughs> to work every day. You know that just gets tough when you yeah. ha- when you put your personal lives on hold, and my guys do it, but you have to be there for them as well. You know I still work right amongst them all day long. I run equipment with them, so it, it is challenging. But I have been blessed with good people. You know. It's kind of the old saying, iron sharpens iron. All those guys, they just kind of they kind of keep each other up. We all do. But I'm, I'm real proud of them, and I couldn't do an ounce of what we do without them. You know, I ask a lot of them, and, they, and I mean, they, they really stand up and do the work. Well, and, and like you said, it's, or I've, I've said before, it's hard to find people that want to keep farmers' hours, but right. not be in business for themselves. But you've had a knack for bringing in good talent and... Uh, the things we've seen, you know, again, the level of work that's done, the amount of work that gets done in a day is tremendous. So yeah, it is a lot. Um, and it's just the culture, you know, it isn't like we just kind of set a precedent. It's just kind of how the day rolls or how the, when the ideas come out, we just, I don't know, you just kind of 
all right, this is what we're doing and we'll get to work on it. And they just do, you know, and maybe part of it is, is that there's never the same thing ever, you know, so you keep a variety of what we do. We're innovating new things. We go to the field and plant and go through our season. Then we're back in the shop. So you never just get caught in like a, you know, the same routine every day. It's never a hardly the same right. one, one day to the other. <laughs> When you think back about, you know, from the time you started with Stein to where you are today, are there things that stand out as particular areas of growth or change? Boy, it's been growth, David, in almost every category you can imagine. You know, when I started, I was just thinking back on this. You know, I think we were probably in that 12,000 to 13,000 acre range, and the farm has grown to just short of 20,000. So you think about that just over two decades, that's still quite a bit. So with that, you know with technology, equipment, growth of land, naturally, without any research or seed production in the middle of that, uh, that's a lot of growth. But then you add in these other layers as we've talked, how we harvest our seed corn, the machines that we've built to do it, our narrow row corn projects from Harry's inception of that, you know, that really changed everything. I, it, not only for the farm, but I believe the whole company, everything has been different since that late 2012, 2013 date to me, it has expanded and grown exponentially. So one of the unique things that we have, I think, is when we talk about Steinseed brand, is that we are also tied closely to a working farm operation. What what do you think are are the benefits of that for customers who may be looking to purchase seed from Stein? Well, when you are, it's a great question and it's a great point because what we grow I mean, you see it right on the farm from what comes out of the nursery, how it progresses into the ISOs. You see it then in the plots, and then it ends up in my hands, and we grow it in large acres. You know, so we're growing what we're selling right on the farm to people, and we're testing all that in so many different levels from our, you know, from the yield trials right down to the in-field or in-farm situation. Just, you know, and everything performs differently. But it really does give you a good feel for what we're growing uh, and what we're selling to the farmer. And then when farmers come to visit, it's easy to talk about because you've you've been along with that variety, you know, from its inception, you know. And I see some that are that are just great from the beginning, and you can see some that you know you just know the the good from the bad. And I just know how much time and effort goes in, even right up to how much Harry cares about what we're developing for the farmer. Uh, what's most high yielding, what stands the best, and what's going to make the farmer the most money. I, you know, that's one thing I don't think people realize is how much he cares about that. Yep. So that, in, that on-farm uh, relationship to the seed production, a lot of other seed companies, they're in divisions or, you know, you don't ever see that. But it's all just integrated right into what we do every day. Well, and you mentioned farm tours. I, I would say certainly one of the things that uh, over the years, as we've had farmers come and visit, they really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you or with Fred. And, and because I think there's a real world, a sense of this is yeah. real world application of this, right? So, you know, we try a lot of things and, and yeah, they don't all pan out, but that's, you know, as I tell growers, sometimes we do those things so you don't have to. Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll have Steve try it and then, right. we'll, and then we'll find out. Yeah, that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> so, Across those years, I guess, you know, expanding on the same question, but are there is there something that stands out in your mind as a particular success or achievement from the different things that you've been involved with? Boy, um, there's, there's a number of them. 
you know, I would say one of the, you know, my early ones is um, just, you know, everybody works together in all facets, but the development of our seed corn harvesters, you know, when I first showed up and I thought, man, what are these things? And <laughs> I'd never been around a husking bed, you know, to where they're at now. And, and we've developed in so many stages along the way of, you know, basically creating a piece of equipment from the ground up out of thin air, more or less. Uh, yeah, we started with the backbone of a combine, but we quickly, you know, that morphed into something else. And along the way, you know, nothing works like brand new or let what you would buy off the uh, line at John Deere. You have to grow and, and use everyone. And that's just a multitude of years and people's ideas along the way and not just one person's ideas. So, you know, I, I look at those now to the level they're at. They're very efficient. They're very effective and they work really well. And we had our struggles in those early years as I came on trying to perfect those. And, and some of those falls were long. <laughs> um, other things that stand out in my mind, and I'll probably keep going back to it because it was such a big change in our company and in me, is the growth of our narrow rows and the development of equipment, the vision that Harry had, how quickly Harry's vision needed to be put into place from the development of a 12-inch corn head, the development of 12-inch corn planters, which went to twin 20s. And along the way, what we did was is we it put me in a place that I would have never dreamed of working directly with big manufacturers, creating these pieces of equipment, which led to the design of our research planners today. You know, and other innovative things um, on, you know, cornhead development for the research combines and now which are in our R2 program with the Almacos. I mean, along the way, we've just, all of a sudden, we just became people that designed and created equipment, <laughs> you know, so... You know, thinking back to my days when I, I went to I went to Iowa State for a while, I was going to become an ag engineer and kind of abandoned that uh, the road of schooling and thought I was just going to make it big in farming. And so I kind of gave up on school. But you know, I've kind of got to live out that part of my life or my dreams of de helping develop equipment. So you know, those are all big achievements. At least they are to me. You know, when you sit in a room with some executives from John Deere and develop a planter program. You know, that doesn't happen anywhere else in any one given day, <laughs> right. you know. So to me, those are big ones that stand out. And, and you know, we, we had a, there's a lot of great stories there, and there's a, a lot of big movement that happened in just a short amount of time. And I assume there has to be moments in that where you think, I'm not quite sure how all this is going to come together. Right. <laughs> uh, but... Yeah. You're not you're not kidding because <laughs> we we you know we sit down in November and and Harry says we're gonna develop a planter program to go out to our growers and you you know we're gonna go to John Deere and we ended up at Great Plains as well and that was in November and you know by planting season we had a big majority of those delivered to farmers you know those planters were that was just an inception like in November <laughs> and you know to get those manufactured through big companies John Deere being the biggest. And getting those out the door into growers, those were some sleepless nights because I wasn't sure how we were going to pull all that off. <laughs> and, that was, and that was a great kind of moment, kind of a put your money where your mouth is kind of moment from the sales side because it was a point where you can only take that seed conversation so far. And now you're starting to talk about changing the cultural practice, right, of how they, how they plant. And without getting, you know, companies like Deer on board or, you know, Great Plains or somebody you're kind of dead-ended. And so I thought that was an amazing way to keep that conversation moving. And it really was. And I, I'll even expand on that. It was a good way to integrate all of our company, you know, from you guys, from the sales side to the farm side. It, it really, I mean, we all knew each other. We all worked together. But it really brought everybody kind of 
integrated us all to the same project and the same movement forward. And now I read articles or I see advertisements where other big seed companies are now testing and developing uh, their high density or their high population corn practices. And I kind of just chuckle inside a little bit and think, you know, I'll remember those days when Harry said, this is what we're doing. And I kind of, as a young farmer that came from the north side of Adel, when he says, we're going to start growing corn in 12 inch rows, you know, I kind of scratched my head. That seemed crazy, you know, but now you see that that's probably where the, um, that growth in the corn industry is probably heading. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you're just ahead of your time. Well, I wasn't. <laughs> I was more or less told that's where we were headed. So. That's okay. You're yeah. part of that. Right. So that's okay. Yeah. Switching gears a little, Steve, talking about, I guess I wanted to ask you about the year that was. So you operate this these acres here around, you know, the central part of the state of Iowa. So what was the year of 2023 like from from the cab? Well, you know, it started off. You know, the whole year was just pretty smooth. You know, we're dry right now. I think that's no secret throughout the Midwest, especially here in central Iowa. We've been dry for about three years. Mm-hmm. So when you can kind of roll out of the, the shop on the first day of planting and you don't have uh, any wet spots or any rain in the forecast and you've got really good soil conditions, which we did, you know, we had a fair amount of moisture to get the crop going. And, you know, by tax day, we'd kind of we were done. We were done planting corn and, mm. you know, waiting to get started on our, our soybean planting. And, you know, as the year went, we were able to get a rain every time we needed it, you know, which led to a really good crop. You know, we had a really good yielding crop for not a lot of rain. And I think that's been the discussion with a lot of farmers that I listened to. So then we rolled into harvest. And from the cab, I can just tell you that I, I probably saw across the board, one of the best corn crops that, you know, you you may not see that crop like that again for a while. And maybe we will, but I mm. hadn't seen one like that across the whole farm. Uh, you know, I think our farm averaged in the, the mid-250s and across our acres from, you know, north to south, east to west, you know, good soils to lighter soils to more rain to less rain on one end of the county. I really think that that's, I think that was what I noticed the most this fall. And you see that, you know, we cover a lot of ground. Uh, and by the time that, and I always try to keep track of it a little bit, you know, you, we, like I said, you know, we farm just a little under 20,000, but by the time that you make your tillage practices and you spray and you harvest, well, you've been across all those acres a number of times, you know, and I, I, I let my guys usually know that, you know, it's usually between 150 to 160,000 acres we cover in a season. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so by the time we make it to harvest, even though it's not our crop, so it's a little different when you're not the farmer. Yeah. But when you see a great crop and how hard everybody's worked, you know, it's 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 fun to bring in a lot of loads. And, you know, it was a healthy crop. And and we work really hard with our different um, fertility programs. And, and, and like I said, a lot of those passes we make, whether it would be with our fungicide or our extra application of nitrogen or now just a separate application of sulfur, you know, a lot goes into that crop to feed that crop to make that crop. So when you make it to the end, it always feels good. And, <laughs> you know, and when it's good, it's, you know, it's good for us. It's good for the company. And, and yeah. you know, we're uh, even all our guys are proud of it. But yeah. Like you said, it, it was certainly a case where I, well, I guess you tell me, I mean, it's, it seemed like uh, as you headed into August, uh, the, the predictions were not 
right. were not great because we had, of where we had our worries. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, like you said, whatever we got, we must have got just enough at the just the right time because yep. it, yields were very surprising. And and I kind of knew a little bit, you know, since our seed production's out there, I spent a lot of time in cornfields all summer, detasseling or whatnot, and you know, so you, you see what you're making, and it might be the same as what I'm growing. So, you know, I, I started to see that the corn had pollinated well in seed corn, and we were getting a good seed set. And I thought, boy, as good as a seed corn crop appears, even right now, wonder what our field corn. So, you know, instinctively, I start walking in our field corn. I'm like, boy, <laughs> you know, this seems like, call me crazy, but this looks like a lot of corn. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, I, I'd kind of seen a little bit of that, but even in August, you're right, you get those hot days and, you know, you wonder what, what kind of yield's getting taken off the top. But um, And we probably did lose some. So it makes you wonder what kind of crop what we would have been. Right, exactly. You're always wondering that. You mentioned seed corn. So seed corn, you know, is a whole different animal. But um, I guess my question is, more often than not, is seed corn harvest a decent predictor of field corn yield it's usually a good indicator not always you know there could be other issues that have happened sure. along with seed corn uh did we get a hot snap and it didn't pollinate well or you know there's other there's there's some other intricate things in there with the seed corn production that can kind of throw things askew but for the most part it's a pretty good indicator okay yeah as you head into as we look at you know we're we're I don't know. You probably know how many days we are from planting probably at this point. I haven't but, added it up yet. <laughs> but, but as you look toward 2024, um, what are some of the things that you guys are looking at for either changes or adjustments or I guess what's on your mind for planting in 2024? Well, I think the big thing for us and I think it will be for the Midwest and I hear it time and time again is how you're going to deal with suppressing weeds. It's out there. I don't think it's any secret to anybody that, you know, everybody's this last year, probably because it was hot and dry. And a lot of the herbicides we use in today's age, you know, they're very water soluble. So it takes rain to keep those activated in the soil. So we had our challenges there. But I still think that it's time you always have to be proactive. So for me, the changes I see coming will be uh, modifying and probably strengthening both my soybean pre and my corn pre programs. You got to get ahead of that stuff early. Uh, so your post program works, you know, like it should. So you don't have, uh, you know, some rescue trips or whatever it is with a sprayer. So that's kind of our big one. Uh, another new one I'm going to try. I know that um, we're going to have the opportunity to try one of John Deere's new planters, and on that planter is going to be it's an exact merge planter, and that that should be fairly common to everybody. But there's going to be exact a point where it uh, will um, apply, whether it be your liquid nitrogen or your starters right on the seed at the same time. So for me, that's something new. You know, we, we do a lot of applications, uh, whether it be early 32% for we lay down ahead of our planters or, like I mentioned, the sulfur, RNCs and side dress, uh, where we come back with urea and more sulfur. You know, when we're coming back over the top with our fungicide and, and uh, we put a foliar pack on with uh, some K-leaf in it now for some added potassium. The one thing I haven't tried is something in furrow, you know. So I think, you know, Harry and I have always, you know, agreed that you got to feed the crop. You can't just put something on in the fall and with your anhydrous and hope that that's going to be good enough. But, you know, maybe maybe this last year you got by with it because of the kind of growing season that we may have had, at least locally. But 
you know, more often than not, the crop needs, you know, it needs fed if you're going to grow high yielding crop. Yeah. Uh, and for us, when you're uh, planting a higher population, that's even more prevalent. You, you've got to feed that crop if you're increasing your population. Yep. So uh, those are some of the things I'm, you know, kind of looking towards for uh, the next growing season here. Um, you know, just thinking about, again, all the acres you cover, and you guys certainly have it built to, to geared for a high yield environment, right? And I know you talk to a lot of other growers. Are the things that you guys are doing there on the farm that if you have a grower come to you and say, hey, what's something you're doing that I should be looking at doing? Are, are there things off the top of your head that you'd say, boy, you, here's some things you should certainly start looking at? Yeah, I think the first one is this, is the the lack of sulfur. You know, I think that's a big one in the industry. It was a real eye-opener to me when we realized that what we were seeing, uh, discoloration in the corn early, and this would have been back in that probably that 2012, 2013, when we first started getting these narrow rows and we noticed, uh, we thought we maybe had maybe some chemical carryover and it wasn't, it was, uh, we were sulfur deficient. So when I, if I would talk to growers, I'd tell them that'd be a big one. And it's not an easy one because it is, it's like, it's just like your nitrogen, you know, it, it moves in the soil fast, it can leach out quick. So it's a, it's an in-season thing, whether it be at pre-plant or whether that be one going out and side dressing and so I would tell farmers that's a big one, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and then I hear a lot of times, well, you know, that that's another another input, that's another ex, you know unexpected cost or one that they don't feel like they can uh, they can do with their equipment. But I would still tell you that if you'd sat down and probably put pencil to paper, that's one that returns. Mm-hmm. The same with you know, I also tell them you know get out there and put your fungicides on, your insecticides on that that crop. You know, health health of that plant is number one. So I always I always promote that. So fungicide in your mind has moved beyond just an insurance, and it's a it's, it's a daily pra- it's a yearly practice. Yeah. You know, I mean, see, you know, with our crop, I shouldn't yeah. say it's a daily, yeah. but you know, we're good. We split shot it. You know, we do it right during our post with the first you know, first application of it, and then we come back over the top, and we always make sure we got an insecticide in with that pass. There's a lot of good generic things out there now that farmers should be aware of that are you know. If if you're out there and you and you know your products and you know what you're shopping for, it's there's some affordable things that work really good out there. So as you get you know to the end of the the harvest season, obviously you got all this grain, and and I guess I'm curious for our listeners, is there a certain where does Stein Seed Farm market their grain? How do they market their grain? I mean, is anything there? Yeah, so. I would tell you almost all of it. There are a few exceptions uh, locally. There's a few feed mills that uh, can run short on corn, but you know, for the most part, all of our corn goes to one of two local ethanol plants. Mm. And a lot of that, we have to market quite a bit of that uh, in season because we can't store the amount of grain we bring in. I think this last year, you know, we had since we had such a great crop, we had to turn over our uh, our facility. You know one time for sure so you know meaning we had double what we could hold mm. so we're, you know we had to dry con you know you know go out and contract and sell and, and harry is a very very big part of that on a daily op daily operations in the fall sure. he's very hands-on with that marketing you know so you have a busy fall and and you have a um a very great yield but with that that's extra loads in and that's extra loads out so mm. you know that can that puts a lot of pressure on just a handful of trucks you know, because some of those trucks spend a lot of time hauling out, and the rest of the farm 
was doing their best they could to overrun them with crop coming in. <laughs> so, but everything locally, David goes to uh, either down to Menlo. Uh, that's a close one for us or Grand Junction. Okay. You know, whoever usually has the best bid. But you know, yeah. we start early intentionally. Uh, for a lot of reasons, you know, there's there's a good market out there. You know, you come into the August, late August, early September, most of those ethanol plants are getting empty so they can hold this year's crop. So they're out looking, you know, actively looking um, with good bids for somebody to bring in crop. So because we do have quite a few acres, we like to get started so we can get done. Yeah. Um, maybe beat a weather event, whatever the case may be, but also because you can capture such a good market. Okay. We learn as we go, you know. We're <laughs> we're we're planting some some early maturities early now, and and we've got some really good ones in our lineup that I'm really excited about, and they've worked the last two years. So because of that, that early harvest and getting to the ethanol plants early is really panning out. Okay, good. Well, so from my experience, it seems like your team are kind of the ultimate problem solvers. Like I said, we've talked about some of the challenges have been thrown. <laughs> Yeah. your way and how you guys work with those and how you address those and always seem to 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 make things work is there a challenge particular item that sticks out in your mind as as a challenge and how you would have resolved that issue yeah i mean i can think of a lot of challenges we've had <laughs> i guess well it's harder to have you just pick one yeah you? right um <laughs> You know, and I'll, I'll probably wear, wear this conversation out, you know, uh, when, when Harry came to me in late 2011, early 2012, I believe it was, with the idea of 12-inch corn. The first thing we needed to figure out was, is that we, he probably knew in his mind we could build a planter somehow and get it in the ground, but how do we harvest it? So when I think back to challenges over, new, over the New Year's, he said, uh, need to figure out how you can build a 12-inch corn head, and I... We knew where the, some neighbors had left some standing for, uh, like, a winter snow fence. Mm. You need to ask if, if we build a corn head, can we come combine their corn and see if it works? So that's kind of what I heard. One, And I'm kind of leaving part of that story out. But, <laughs> you know, so by the – he kind of gave me a deadline. By the, that was, like, the 1st of January. He said, by the 1st of February, we'd like to have a running corn head. And – had you ever built a corn head yet? Not once in my life. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, we took off. You know, I came into the shop as everybody came back from the new year, and I kind of ran that idea by him. And, and I, boy, I had some quiet, starey looks coming back at me. And, you know, we didn't have tooling for it. And we really just didn't want to gear the shop up. What if it didn't work? You know, so we kind of <laughs> took off and, and started to figure out what we needed to do. And, and we did. We got it done. And we went to the field with it. And... Even that version, I remember even making snouts. We just took pieces of uh, old poly or even, uh, yeah, it was just poly. We just roughly cut. And somehow, I can't remember now how we anchored them down over the row units. And we went and combined with that thing. And when it worked, we off we went. You know, we had yeah. uh, we had some help from another manufacturer and even created some of our own. And, and that fall, we, you know, we went to the, our whole farm was 12 inch. And what we had made between two groups that that's what took the crop out <laughs> um and then you know quickly we we then moved into the arena of harvestability was definitely an issue and so twin 20s came along because yeah. we could still achieve the same thing in those narrow rows on twin 20s but we could harvest it with a standard 20 inch corn head so you know it didn't take long to fast forward a year and a half or two years in there we were building and changing all of our planters over and again that kind of came at the 11th hour so off we went to take all these planters and just 
get them in the shop and start converting them over. At the same time, we were doing the same thing with the research equipment. You know, you know, if you change one thing, we change almost everything. You know, so <laughs> right. that transcends through multiple shops and lots of people, which then got got us into as we talked earlier into our planter program. Uh, that's where Harry came to that idea, and so we started as we're changing these planters over. And, and as usual, there's no warning. You know, so we were working on one in the shop, and somebody came down and said, "Well, Harry's got the guys here from John Deere today, and trying to run this planter program." and his idea by them, and I'm not sure they're really wrapping their head around a one-off project, And but they're bringing them down here to see you. You know, I just stood there at the shop door thinking, now? <laughs> you know, and these just weren't, you know, run-of-the-mill people from John Deere. You know, these were some North American, you know, head honchos, and I'll never forget they walked in the the shop door, and, and um, his name was John May, and he's, he's moved on e- up even further now in Deere, and it was like he had a I felt like he brought the A-team with him. You know, he had an entourage of people with him and uh, that kind of held the door for him. He came in and, and um, boy, he started to hit me with some questions and and the people around him were asking really complicated, you know, technical things about production of equipment and testing in the field. And I didn't have an answer for any of it. And I just remember, um, I just finally looked at him and said, it's John, isn't it? Because I hadn't even hardly caught his name. And he said, it is. And I said, you know what? I just grew up about four miles down the road from here. At the end of the day, it's still farming. It's still a corn planter. And it's not going to really be any different other than just going to be more row units. You know, and from that point on, then I worked with him for throughout the whole year. He and I developed a friendship and uh, he'd started on a small farm. So I guess my point to the story is, you know, it's still farming. Yeah, It's still planting corn. It's just, a, you know, a new idea and and a different way to do it. <laughs> and it's probably the way that the industry's heading. You know, yeah. looking back, looking at it now, come, seeing where we came from, boy, it moves so fast through those days. You know, it's been over 10 years now where I didn't wrap my head around an industry changing, you know, because that's what it's done. It's made everybody think. It's like we've said, it's made these other companies go out and test. I mean, it was... It's groundbreaking. And to be a part of that, uh, maybe it's just as well I didn't know or think beyond beyond what it was. You just dive in and you just do what you do. And, and so, you know, you I mean, I could go on and on about some of these stories because uh, then that led to bringing Gehringhoff in and figuring out corn heads, you know, 15-inch corn heads and, you know, our research corn heads and developing crossover corn heads for the research department. And you just bring in big worldwide manufacturers and sit down. And I've still got friends that I, you know, not even about business stay in touch with when they're in the States or when they're around, you know, it's, it's just really changed how I view things in the industry with equipment, with crop, because as a company, even with our genetics, we're always on the cutting edge of something new. And that's really exciting. And um, I don't know sometimes if, if uh, people really realize where we're at as a company or how we're out in front on a lot of that stuff. I get caught up locally, you know, because as like you, you grow up in the community. So, uh, but you're a big farm in the community. So things can be uh, perceived a little differently. <laughs> right. So I get caught up in, you know, what's happening locally, but sometimes I step back and I read articles or, or we talk about it today. You know, I, it, it really changed what we do and how we operate and how the farm looks and how it's grown. 
Yeah, so sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees. It is. Until yeah. you get out of the trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, to your point with this whole thing with high pop and narrow row, it's like, okay, now you can kind of see the significance of some of that. Like I said, they're talking about it in theory. We've done it for a long time. You've lived it for a long time. Well, you know what, David? I think we all have, yeah. at one degree or another. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether it was in our shop or whether it was you guys going out and, you know, telling the world about it. You know, we've all kind of been... So there's satisfaction knowing you were on the ground floor of something yeah. that, like you said, seems to be about to revolutionize what's going on. Yeah. Well, so as we wrap up here today, I guess, Steve, what would you want people to know about what you do at Stein? That's a heck of a question right there. I don't know. I, you know, I, I guess I'd want people to know just we've kind of touched on it, you know. We show up every day to work and... We're there every day because we're farmers, and that's what we love to do. The beauty of where we work, I guess I would want everybody to know that we're out there every day trying to change and make what we do today better for tomorrow, you know? And that really comes from the top down. That's the way Harry sees it, always trying to make a new, better product. And that's your goal in hand when you head out the door every morning uh, or when I leave his office, you know? I, I don't leave there angry. I don't leave there frustrated. I leave there maybe challenged. <laughs> but, and then just passing that on to my guys, you know, it's even bigger than that. You know, I've got guys that are as young as 20 years old that work for me, and I as old as 78. But for those guys under me, passing it forward, teaching them, I'm not going to do it forever. And, you know, Fred was really good to teach me and still does, you know, mm -hmm. every day. He's still involved. Uh, I see him every morning, and, and, and we start our day together, and during harvest, he's around there all day. So he's, Fred has been a, a really good example of how you learn to pay it forward, pass the baton forward. Uh, so I would like to think that I would want to do that. I want people to know that's what I would do for my guys and teach them along the way, you know. I'm, Life moves quick. You all of a sudden you're not the young one in the group anymore. You know you're a little bit of the. I'm not the oldest one, but you know you, you know you've been around there enough that and long enough that I I want to I enjoy my time spent teaching and and passing along some of that stuff and 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 if I don't I'm not doing my job. Yeah. So and I attribute some of that to being taught that from you know I've had a lot of good leaders in my life you know, but. Uh, in, in this part of my life, it's been Fred and, and uh, boy, the and Harry. Yeah. You know, from both of them integrated throughout every day for the last 20 years of my life, if you're not learning something, you're not paying attention around there, <laughs> you know, because they they got a lot to offer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, Steve, we could go on and on and on, and, and I've already decided i got to have you back. we got to talk because we could do a whole podcast just about narrow high pop. Oh, yeah. Because you were there from the beginning. And so we'll, uh, we'll definitely have you back on well, to talk in depth about that story. But that's a big, big thing. Yeah, it and, has been uh, a big part of our farm. Yep. But uh, I appreciate you coming on today talking about uh, Steinseed Farm because that's kind of the engine at the heart of oh, yeah. everything that we do. And, and you're such a big part of that. I appreciate you coming on talking about your Stein story and talking about the farm operation where it is today and the things that you guys are working on. So uh, glad to have you on the show. Well, thanks a lot for inviting me. This is great. Well, that's our time for today. I want to thank our guests and our listeners for joining us on another episode of the Stein Seedcast. We'll be back again soon with more expert interviews and insights about all things Stein. And to never miss an episode, 
Subscribe to the Stein Seatcast wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe to the Stein Seatcast wherever podcasts are found. To learn more about Stein and its elite corn and soybean genetics, visit steinseed.com. Stein has yield.